Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7 this morning. It's, I, I changed the title to Comfort in Suffering. Comfort in Suffering, because really that's what the chapter, uh, the, the section is going to talk about. Great chapter on, on the comfort that God gives in suffering. Dr. John Henry Jowett, one of the greatest preachers in the English-speaking world, said this, You seem to imagine that I have no ups and downs, but just a level and lofty stretch of spiritual attainment with unbroken joy and equanimity. By no means. I am often perfectly wretched, and everything appears most murky. Charles Spurgeon said, I am the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, had a terrible, terrible time with depression. Someone said, Discouragement is no respecter of persons. Discouragement seems to attack the successful far more than the unsuccessful. Because the higher we climb, the farther down we can fall. So again, you know, a lot of times we see these great preachers and, and great men and women of God and think, man, it must be nice to be like them. They don't have any problems. They don't experience the difficulties that we go through. Man, that's, that's totally wrong. We're all in the same boat. We all have the same natures and characters when it comes to the problems and difficulties. So when we look at this, this particular letter that Paul wrote, it's not surprising when we read that Paul, in verse 8, was burdened beyond measure and despaired even of life. Even Paul, the great man that he was, a great godly man and, 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 and minister and you know, involved in ministry, <clears throat> he was burdened beyond measure at times. And he, was, he even thought at times he was going to lose his life. As, as great as his character was and his ministry, Paul was human just like the rest of us. Now, Paul could have escaped these burdens, except he was called by God in verse 1. And he had a concern to help people. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians from Ephesus, where he was involved in a great ministry. We just read last week as we finished 1 Corinthians... He, he, he had written, a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are, very, uh, there are many adversaries. That's why Paul just couldn't leave Ephesus at that time and go to Corinth. In Corinth, there was that baby church, that young church that he had just started. And that church was filled with all kinds of problems. It was filled with carnal Christians that acted like immature children. So Paul couldn't come. And, and, and they were ticked off at him. And they were a little hurt by it that he couldn't go there, go to visit them from Ephesus. So Paul had written his first letter and told them that he would be coming later on. But he stayed in Ephesus for about three years. And he didn't get to Corinth. And the Corinthians were still upset. So he sends Titus to Corinth because he couldn't go there himself at that time. Timothy had been with Paul in Ephesus, and they both left Ephesus and went on to Troas to wait for Titus to bring word from Corinth. When Titus didn't come, Paul and Timothy went on to Philippi. That's where they met Titus, and they brought Paul a word about the Corinthians. 
He brought good news from Corinth that the Corinthians were obeying the things that Paul had taught them. They were obeying the things that Paul told them to do. He brought, at Philippi, Paul sat down to write this second letter. The Corinthians still wanted Paul to come and to be with them. But any falling out between Paul and the Corinthian church was healed. So in this letter, Paul opens his heart. In Second Corinthians, he opens it in a very big way, a very great way. Paul lets us come to know him better personally in this letter than in any other letter that he wrote. Second Corinthians deals with conditions of the ministry within the church. First Corinthians dealt with conditions and concerns in the church. So let's begin with Second Corinthians chapter one, verse one. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all Achaia. So Paul is writing in the authority of an apostle. Paul says, I am an apostle by the will of God. I didn't choose to be an apostle. There was not a committee who appointed me to be apostle. Uh, I was, I was, you know, God called me. To be an apostle. So I'm an apostle by the will of God. Now you can't go any higher than that. That's real authority when God appoints you. If your life is in the will of God, then there's no question in your mind. If you're in the will of God, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter how you are. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. You're in a wonderful place. Think about that. This is true, and we have to understand that and, and, you know, and, and submit to that. Again, if you're in the will of God, it doesn't matter where you are or how you are or what circumstances are. You are in a wonderful place. There's no place better to be than in the will of God. You may be lying in a hospital bed, but you know what? If that's the will of God for you, that's the perfect place for you. Because there's a purpose for you to be there. We may not understand it, but, but it's, it's part of God's you know, infinite wisdom and love and purpose for you. And then Paul goes on to say, this is Paul and Timothy, our brother. Notice Paul puts Timothy on the same level as himself. Paul never saw himself as higher or better than anybody else. Paul was just another one of God's many servants. And then Paul says in the greeting there in verse 1, he says, written to the church of God. Whose church? God's church. The church of God. This is God's church. And sometimes people act as if it was their church. And I've been to a church before where, you know, the, the pastor came in and he wanted to do things as the Lord led him. And people would say, hey, I was here before you were. We built this church. I've poured money into this church. You know, I was here before you were you ever thought about being here. I helped start this church and on and on it goes. As if it was their church because they were the first one to sit in it. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he purchased with his blood. He paid a lot more for it than we could ever pay. He bought it with his precious blood. And because he paid a high price for his church, we better not be cheapskate Christians, pushing our cheap 
agendas and our puny little will in his church. It is his church. He said there in verse 1, which is at Corinth with all the saints who are, all, who are in all Achaia. So Paul didn't just write this letter to Corinth alone. But this letter extended to all those that were in Ki too. Because you see, everywhere the gospel went in that day, these people were witnesses. They carried the gospel out to others. Verse 2, as he goes on. And again, in, in the greeting, he says, Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and, our, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Until you experience the grace of God, you will not experience the peace of God. And it's always the order in Paul's uh, greetings. Grace and then peace. And Paul uses, like I said, he uses his salutation often. Grace and peace are God's great gifts from him to the believer. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Great verse. The words comfort or consolation, they come from the same Greek word, meaning, uh, again, both meaning the same thing, comfort and consolation. And don't think of God's comfort in terms of sympathy. God isn't feeling sympathy for you because sympathy can weaken us instead of strengthen us. God doesn't put us, you know, pat us on the head and give us a lollipop or a little toy to make us feel better. To get our mind, you know, off of our problems. He doesn't do that. He puts strength into our hearts so that we can face our trials. And so that we can get victory over them. Our English word comfort, it comes from two Latin words meaning with strength. With strength. The Greek word means to come alongside and help. And it's the same word used for the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. He comes alongside you and He helps you. God can encourage us. He can encourage us by His Word and through His Spirit. But sometimes He uses other Christians like Barnabas. His name means son of encouragement. So God will use other believers to encourage us sometimes whenever we need that. So when you're discouraged because of difficult circumstances, it's easy to look at yourself and your feelings or your circumstances, and, and we often do. But the first step we have to take is to look by faith to the Lord God and realize all what God is to us. The psalmist said in Psalm 121, 1 through 2, I looked up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? Inferring no. He says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You know, if Jehovah God created the heavens and the earth, then he's a great power. He's a, great, a God of great power and wisdom and glory, and we have nothing to fear. Now, Satan and his demon army, they may work, you know, make at, at, uh, work at uh, opposing the saints. And they do. They work hard at opposing the saints. But this is, this is still our Father's world. The apostate Jews worshipped other gods at the high places in the hills. But the faithful people of God, they looked above the hills and looked to the great God who created the hills, who created all things. You know, it, it, how we deal with our troubles is where we have our eyes focused. And many times we look at the problem and not above the problem to God seated on the throne. When travelers could see Jerusalem uh, situated on the mountains, they knew that God dwelt uh, in the sanctuary there. 
and that he provided the needed the help that they needed. Everything in the heavens and on earth bears witness to the great creator who is also our heavenly father. Therefore, why should we fear? The word, the word of, of, of joy and delight, the word of joy and delight that starts off this section is an expression of Paul's heart on the consolation and comfort of the believer or the belief uh, the, uh, in, in the believer in Jesus Christ, the comfort the believer has in Jesus Christ, no matter what happens or no matter what is happening to him. We have this joy inexpressible in Jesus Christ. And in this letter of 2 Corinthians, we have an unusual assortment of words expressing suffering of mind, heart, and body. We have words like affliction, anguish, Beaten, beatings, conflicts, danger, hunger, persecutions, punished, sorrow, suffered, sufferings, tears, tumults, weak, and weakness. All these words suffering, expressing suffering of mind, heart, and body. And at the same time, we have the words comfort and comforted. And they're found here more often than any of other Paul's writings. All words like, also words like joy and rejoicing and triumph, they stand out. And no other, no other Christian could match the sufferings and the achievements that are recorded in, in 2 Corinthians chapters 10, and 10, to, 10 through 12. First of all, there's the source of our comfort. It's a comfort that's fatherly. And nobody comforts like a father. God knows how to comfort us because he's a father. What a wonderful name for God, our heavenly father. To the pagan religions of the world, the title father is unknown to them. Think of that. The word father is unknown to the pagan religions. Pagan gods are lustful, they are cruel. They're selfish. They're unforgiving. They, the, the gods of the pagan religions, the gods have to be pacified. They have to be satisfied. They have to be pleased. And they have to be pacified with cruel, loveless service, endless and costly sacrifices, pilgrimages, and humiliations. And one of the cruelest is extremist Islam. Where the devotees uh, to their gods, they have to give their life for him in contrast to Christianity where the Father has given his life for us. They're described as graven images made out of wood and stone and they're silent, they can't speak, they can't move and they're as stone cold as the rocks that they're carved out of. But our God is a father. He's a living and loving God. So it's no surprise that Paul starts out with a word of joy. Blessed. There in verse 3. Blessed, he starts it out. The word blessed suggests gratitude, adoration, and praise. It's as though Titus arrived with some initial good news that drove away the terrible cloud of anxiety and depression that was bothering Paul's soul. His heavenly Father had heard his prayerful cry, prayerful cries. And Paul knew he would. 
Why did, it, why did Paul knew that, 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 that God would hear his, his, his uh, woeful cries? Because he's a father. He's a father. A father knows how we feel and, and, and doesn't stay unmoved by our weaknesses and, and, our, and our lack of preparation and cries. Those things move our Heavenly Father. Plus, our comfort is a comfort that's perfect. Paul said, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Remember when David sinned by counting the people and God had to punish him for that, for his disobedience? God gave David three choices to choose from of the punishment that he would receive. Remember what David said? Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. Paul also recognized God as such a God of mercy. Paul knew in spite of what he'd done to the church before he was saved, what abundant mercy he received from God. Even for the terrible things that he had done. What a comfort to know that our God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is the Father of mercies. And you know what? He's always waiting to come running to meet us with open arms and to receive us and embrace us. He's always ready to bring out the best robe for us and to put put it on us and put a ring on our hand and sandals on our feet. And to bring a fatted calf and to restore us just like the father of the prodigal son. And God is the comfort of, he's the God of all comfort. All comfort. That means God has absolute control on comfort. All true and lasting comfort comes from God. All we have to do is compare the world's wishful, everything's going to be all right, think positive with the Lord's be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. All the world can just come at you with these these platitudes and these cliches. Oh, don't worry, it's going to be all right. (laughs) Just think positive, just think good thoughts. Compared to be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. It is I, do not be afraid. It was as the God of all comfort that Jesus assured them that his bummed out disciples, that even though he was going away, he was going to send them one who would be with them, another comforter. It is as the God of all comfort that our Lord Jesus Christ now sits on his Father's throne in heaven as our great high priest. Knowing what we go through, everything. He's been touched by it. He's experienced it. He knows the feelings of our infirmities. He knows where we're hurting. And he knows how to comfort us. Look at the first part of verse uh, of 4a. Okay, Paul had just got finished saying in verse 3 that he's the, Lord, uh, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in, notice, all our tribulation. All our tribulation. Paul Paul tells us now how extensive God's comforting is. It comforts us in all our tribulation, no matter what we're going through. 
And Paul should know all about the extent of God's comfort. Because Paul experienced probably more tribulation than any other human being other than Jesus Christ. When Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, he was led blind and broken into the city. And Paul sat in darkness for three days. And Ananias came to visit Paul and to restore his sight and to impart impart to him a filling of the Holy Spirit. And when Ananias said to the Lord, Lord, I'm not too sure about this assignment here, because he was aware of Paul's reputation and what he had done. So again, when he went and he said, Lord, I'm not sure about this, this assignment, the Lord told Ananias more about Paul's commission. He said, Ananias, he says, I chose Paul to preach the gospel in my name to the Gentiles and to show him the great things that he would suffer for my name's sake. The divine comforter never let Paul down. I mean, Paul's road, Paul's life was filled with suffering right from the very beginning. Almost as soon as Ananias left him, Paul went looking for believers in Damascus. And just as quickly... Paul started to preach the gospel right away in the synagogues. And he was proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Son of God to the Jews. Now, at first, the people were surprised. They were blown away. But the more Paul preached and the more real he became, they became, it became clear to them, Paul's for real. He's not messing around. He's preaching Christ. And the people started to get upset with him. People started to get hard-hearted. The opposition grew against Paul. And it came to a head as the Jews took counsel to kill him. We've got to get rid of this guy. And then Paul had to be let down by night by the wall in a basket in order to get away from those who were lying in wait to, to, to kill him. At the city gates, they were trying to accomplish the goal of killing Paul, get rid of him. And then after that, many of Paul's steps were filled with pain and, and danger. But Paul found refuge. He found a safe place in the Lord who had warned him right from the beginning that, Paul, you can expect to be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. But Paul could take comfort in the fact that God was still on the throne. Second part of verse 4. Okay, who comforts us in all our tribulation? Here it is, that we may be able to comfort those who are in uh, who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Paul speaks about the strength of our comfort here. For example, there's an abundance of comfort. Our Father doesn't run out of comfort. He has an abundance of comfort so that we can comfort others with the same comfort that he comforted us with. He comforted us with. People often ask, why do bad things happen to good people? And that question takes for granted that the calamities of life are all bad. And that good people are really as good as they seem. People take those two things for granted. But neither of these assumptions are automatically right. Not not all bad things that happen to good people are bad. 
And not all good people are, are really as good as they seem they are. We're living in a world, as we know, of troubles and bad things. We're living in a world that's ruled by a hostile, hateful, evil enemy who feeds his soul with evil and hatred for the human race. Satan hates you. He hates you. The Bible calls him the prince of this world. We also know him as Lucifer and Satan. So it's no surprise that it's, it's a normal part of life for man to experience sickness, death, natural disasters, injustice, oppression, wars, famines, pestilences, devastating disappointments, financial ruin, and a whole bunch of other similar troubles. We see them now. Very few people go through life untouched by these things. <clears throat> but the bigger question is this. Why does God allow it to happen? And it's a question that has many answers. Paul develops, develops one here. God allows us to suffer tribulation so that we will run to him. The God of all comfort. Why? So that when we've been comforted, when we have been wrapped up in His loving, tender, everlasting arms, we might in turn be able to comfort others. We often know when we try to comfort somebody going through deep troubles that our words are hollow. Again, cliches. Even though we mean well. But we ourselves haven't, you know, haven't sat yet <clears throat> in the house of mourning. We haven't experienced maybe what they're going through. And it's only when we've been where the sufferer is right now that we can truly minister comfort to them. Who can better minister to somebody that maybe has cancer than somebody, than somebody who has had cancer or has cancer? Or whatever the, 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 the trial or ailment might be. Until you've been in their shoes, you really can't sympathize with them or comfort them. That's why Jesus is the great comforter, because he's been there. He, he's, he's been touched by every evil and every trial that, that's known to man. He's been there. He, that's why he's a great uh, high priest. Because true comfort is the overflow of sympathy and understanding. It's tender. It's loving care that comes from a full heart that has been comforted itself. It's experienced that comfort. And it's the people who have been in the dark valley and have experienced the gracious ministry of the Holy Spirit who knows best what to say and who knows best what to do or what not to say or what not to do when ministering to another. Verse 5. <clears throat> For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. So, does, so there's the object. That is to say, the more we share Christ's suffering, the more we're able to give of His comfort. So for, for, the, very Godhead, uh, for the very Godhead itself knows the depth and the agony of suffering. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit knows the very depth and agony of suffering. For example, 
An unbeliever turned to a Christian in rage who was just trying to minister comfort to him in his grief. And the unbeliever shouted angrily at the unbeliever who was trying to comfort him. And he said, where was your God when my son was killed? The believer quietly replied, the same place he was when his own son was killed. God is no stranger to suffering. The sufferings of Christ, God's Son, were deep and they were real and they were long and they were drawn out when He lived on this earth. And just before Jesus started His ministry, He he fasted in a barren wilderness, far away from any friends. He was alone for 40 days. So He experienced total loneliness and all the pains of starvation. Then in His weakened condition, in a harsh physical environment, When he was at the end of all human resources, Satan himself confronts Jesus. Satan is the craftiest and most wicked of all possible enemies. Genesis 3, it says that he was the most cunning beast of all the beasts that were created, of all that was created. Satan confronts Jesus, the craftiest, most wicked of all possible enemies, who offered Jesus a series of evil, subtle temptations. One after the Jesus, if you, you can have this, if you bow down and worship me, you don't have, you, if you do this, you can, you know, and, and what, G, what Satan was trying to do was get him to circumvent the cross. Take a shortcut. And that's the way it continued. His disciples, his closest friends, and chosen companions rarely understood what, what his objectives were or even what he was talking about. In fact, the night before Jesus was crucified, Those close friends were actually arguing with each other about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. His popularity in the beginning was based mostly on his miracles and what what he could do for them. But pretty soon that faded away when the crowds found out that Jesus had no intention of of leading a, a, a revolt there in Rome and overturning the Roman government and setting up his own. The religious establishment, the religious leaders, they were against him from the very beginning. The people of his own town tried to murder him. The Sanhedrin organized all kinds of plots against him. They sent their cleverest men to try to get him to say something that they could use against him in a court of law. His brothers thought he was nuts. And one time they even tried to involve his mother in an attempt to restrain him by force. Jesus' enemies accused him of having a demon, of being a Samaritan, which was a term of the highest reproach in their opinion. Accused him of being a Samaritan. They accused him of performing miracles also in the power of Satan and of being in league with the devil. And then added to all of this is his anguish in his soul over the horror of having to die as the world's sin bearer. He cried his heart out in Gethsemane while his closest friends who had promised to pray with him snored away the few hours that he had left. Jesus was betrayed by one of his disciples with a treacherous kiss. Jesus was manhandled and mauled and falsely accused, unjustly condemned and sentenced by a cowardly governor to a a terrible death. They spit on Christ. They scourged him. 
They blindfolded him. They punched him. They crowned him with thorns and they dressed him in in mocking purple. Then they led him away to a hill shaped like a skull to be nailed on a wooden cross. He suffered all the agonies of death by torture because death by crucifixion was one of the most inhuman, inhumane ways ever invented by man to kill another man. There was the excruciating pain. There was the torment of heat and flies and thirst. There was the rabbis and the mob who mocked him. There were even a couple of dying thieves next to him, crucified alongside him. One cursed him. They cursed him and blasphemed him. Jesus was forsaken by men and he was abandoned by God. And then he endured the ultimate horror of being made sin for us who knew no sin. And when it was all over, he tasted the last remains of the cup of suffering by dying for us. This was Christ's suffering. If we have to suffer, we can be sure of one thing. Jesus knows what it's like because he's already been there. And without a doubt, in a very real sense, we are just sharing Christ's sufferings. And there's more to it than that. It's not so much suffering in general that's in view here. The Lord is more than able to comfort us out of his vast experience of suffering in all of life's troubles. The suffering that Paul experienced was because of his commitment to Christ. Think of that. Because of his commitment to Jesus. The Lord had said to his disciples in Matthew 20, 23, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. Because Paul's relationship with the Lord was the source of his sufferings, it was also the source of his comfort. Many think that when God comforts us, our troubles should go away. Our troubles are over. But if that was true, if it was always the case, you know what people would do? They'd turn to God only because they want to be rid of their pain and not for their love for Him. We have to understand that being comforted can also mean receiving strength and encouragement and hope to deal with our problems, our troubles, our trials. And the more we suffer, the more comfort God gives us. He never runs out. If you're feeling overwhelmed, let God comfort you. And remember that every trial that you endure will help you comfort other people who are suffering similar problems. And remember, God doesn't comfort us to make us comfortable. He comforts us to make us comforters. The sufferings of Christ are those afflictions that we experience as we do Christ's ministry. And at the same time, Jesus suffers with his people since they are united with him. When we suffer, when we hurt, Jesus suffers and Jesus hurts. In Acts 9, verses 4 and 5, Jesus asked Paul why he was persecuting him, implying that Jesus suffered with the early Christians when they were persecuted. It's like you, a parent, when your children hurt, you hurt. 
You feel that hurt. But look at verses 6 through 7. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope is... Our, and our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. Finally, the significance of our comfort. First, we see the significance of our comfort in the life of God's servants in verse 6. He says, it's for your comfort and salvation. Paul says, man, I'm always up to my neck in trouble. Man, I, I'm, my, I'm, just, I'm constantly going through trial and tribulation. That means I'm better able to share with you comfort and spiritual help. And when we ourselves have been comforted, we know better how to encourage you when you have to endure the same kind of troubles we have endured ourselves. And then in closing in verse 7, we see the significance of our comfort in the lives of God's saints. Look at verse 7 again. Our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. Paul was quite confident that if the Corinthians were called on to suffer the kind of things that he himself had been called on to endure, they would also find the same comfort and consolation that he found in God. Paul doesn't mention Paul doesn't say that, hey, the things that I'm suffering, the recent, the recent things that I'm suffering, is that these aren't caused by you guys and the troubles going on there in the church that he was trying to you know, correct by the first letter to the Corinthians. It's taken for granted in the New Testament that believers have to suffer. As Peter said in 1 Peter 2.21, for to this, that is suffering, for to this you were called, notice, Peter's saying, you're called to suffer because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. The so-called prosperity gospel that tells us to name it and claim it, that's another gospel. That's another gospel. The New Testament blessing is given in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Chapter 5, this, the, the Beatitudes... It's a blessing of a spiritual nature. Now, the Beatitudes, those aren't something you do. Those not, that's, those, that's not a list of something that you do. They're something that you are when the new nature of Christ takes over your life. So then we're not surprised or to be surprised by our problems, our trials and troubles, by the hate, by the scorn and the persecution of this world. On the contrary, we are to expect these things. And God allows them. God allows them to discipline and to develop us. To conform us into the image of his son. Father, thank you for such a powerful chapter, Lord. In teaching us. That, Lord, our, our, our trials and tribulations, we have great comfort and consolation in you, Lord. 
So, Father, let us not focus on the circumstances. Let us not focus on the, on the, on the trial, on the affliction. But let us focus on you, God, the comforter, our comforter who comforts us in all of our trials, God. Not just some of them, but all of them, regardless of what they are. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for the offering that we'll receive today. We thank you for your blessing, your many blessings, God, that you heap upon us daily. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Again, we always invite you back to our 6 o'clock evening study. Right now we're doing a character study on Joseph, and tonight the title is Joseph, A Cut Above, and we'll see why, uh, what makes him a cut above. God bless you guys.